0: This podcast is intended to share general information and encourage discussion about medicine, health, and related subjects. The content provided in this podcast and in any linked materials is not intended and should not be construed as medical advice. Thank you for joining me for episode 39 of season 1 of This Osteopathic Life. Once again, I'm here in southern Oregon on an unusually snowy day for us leading to a snow day for my children at school and some slippery roads for those who are out and traveling. This rendered me with a relatively light clinic day and the opportunity to record this podcast that I wasn't sure would transpire. And as I wasn't quite entirely prepared for what the topic might be, As I've noted before, in the early episodes, I had a very specific outline of topics to cover going through the history of osteopathic medicine and the tenets and my own story. As the podcast has progressed throughout the course of the year, many times the topics come up from events in my life and in the week and in encounters with patients or discussions with colleagues or the work of parenting and seeing where osteopathic principles come into play in unexpected spaces and places. And this week, I had a few glimmering thoughts, but as I stepped into this opportunity to be able to record the podcast today, I began to think more about expectations and the power that they hold and what happens when they are met or unmet or exceeded And in this moment, having this extra time, unanticipated extra time today, I'm choosing to see as exceeding expectations, creating a space to be able to record this episode and still participate in events with my family and my fitness community and some responsibilities I have for other programs that I thought I might not. I could also see this moment as an unmet expectation, as my clinical time is somewhat limited by the other responsibilities I have, and so when I have the time carved out for clinic, I really want to optimize it and see as many patients as I can in those moments, and so I could see today is a failure in that regard, but I'm choosing to embrace the opportunity and see this as exceeding expectations and utilize the time for something that is important to me and that I hope is building toward a greater experience of osteopathic medicine and the principles for others beyond just those on my personal patient panel. So the thing about expectations, and I actually went back through my own blog. My original blog was at mamatridoc.com, a WordPress account, M-A-M-A-T-R-I-D-O-C. And I pulled over some articles, entries from that blog onto This Osteopathic Life, But I'd encourage you, if you haven't, to visit that website and look at some of those concepts and experiences. And one was about exceeding expectations. But I'd rather not reference myself as I look into what I'd like to communicate for the podcast today. And so I'll leave that as a reference and I'll put it in the show notes. But I'd like to talk about some other concepts surrounding expectations and how they can improve or challenge our experience and what opportunities we have to perhaps take a bit more control over some of them. There's been an undercurrent of taking our power back as well as surrendering and limiting our struggle. And I think expectations are a key piece of this in many ways. Considering the power of expectations to kind of make or break an experience and wondering how much opportunity we have in anticipation as we create our expectations versus how much we can control our response to them when we get to the end or are within an experience and reviewing the results or the outcome. As I did my research during the bonus time that i had today i came across a few articles and i will say psychology today often comes up as a primary resource for me when i'm exploring concepts it's been utilized in a number of the show notes for my podcast and three different articles actually came up as i was exploring expectations in this way and two of them Are associated with authors who cited their own books. And I have not yet read the book, as I just came across the articles today, but I will. I've ordered one, and considering the other, although it's listed as being 750 pages long, so I might have to decide when it is that I'll be willing, able, and prepared to delve into that. But one concept that came up from the author of that very long book, named Jeremy Sherman, uh, who's a Ph.D., was the secret to happiness and compassion is low expectations. And as I was discussing with my musician who provides the beautiful opening and closing music for these podcasts, the theme for this next set of podcasts, as we move to the end of our first season, we were discussing, you know, should we just lower all expectations and then we won't experience disappointment or feel challenged or upset by things Or do we maintain them and do our best to adjust once the outcome happens so that we're not feeling tortured or upset about them? And this article was interesting to me, and I'll put again the link in the show notes that lowered expectations allow for compassion and happiness in so much that when others don't necessarily bring as much as we thought they might to the table or to an experience, we're not disappointed. You know, we expected minimal from them and in receiving minimal, it's a match, right? So we've received what we thought we might and we can experience happiness or compassion for that person. And on the opposite side of that spectrum is the desire for improvement and if we want improvement we often have to raise our expectations so that we can continue to aspire to them and change behaviors or hold others to higher standards to change their behaviors to meet those expectations and it was an interesting way to think about the opportunity to think to examine what's most important to us. So do we want to feel content and generally happy and compassionate? And in which case this author is suggesting that lower expectations can be more helpful in achieving that. It doesn't necessarily mean no, but perhaps loosening the reins and broadening what can serve as a reasonable outcome for you. If your goal is improving, growing, Perhaps higher expectations will help you to get there, being willing to perhaps accept that sometimes they're not going to be met and there's going to have to be some adjustment in behavior, in response, and potentially some modification of the expectations depending on where your goals go. So I thought that was a nice way to give opportunity to be in either realm, to have high expectations, to hold others to them, understanding that your goal is for improvement, and that you might be disappointed along the way, but you're willing to accept and work with that disappointment because you know you're striving towards something specifically. In other situations, it may be more successful in the idea of eliminating the struggle to lower the expectations to allow for greater compassion and contentment and happiness to set in. And I want to be clear that in saying that, in practicing that, it doesn't mean letting people get away with things or accepting mistreatment or misbehavior, you know, thinking, again, from the parent brain as far as you know what my expectations are of my children and where that balance point lies, but also seeing some freedom and the opportunity to move between those two ends of the spectrum of expectations. Of Sometimes we're going to hold that high standard and expectation and strive for improvement And sometimes we're going to let it go and understand when good enough is enough and the benefit for the ease exists. One of the other articles from Psychology Today, also from an author whose book I've ordered, and I'll come back with further details, is Loretta Bruning, B-R-E-U-N-I-N-G, also PhD. And her article was Stop Anxiety by Adjusting Expectations. And this one delves deeper into the brain chemistry of expectation and when they're met and unmet and how we create them based on past experience and what it means if there's a misalignment, you know, if what we expect based on what we previously experienced doesn't happen and the opportunity to intervene and steer ourselves away from cortisol, which can lead to greater anxiety and more toward the path of dopamine release, which is more of a positive feedback, a feel-good experience, and looking at where we have opportunity to control the development and the predictability of those pathways and the power of repetition. And in this The author suggesting that repeating the new behavior for 45 days can help you build a new expectation and create new opportunity to have congruency, to have those things met, to allow the past experience to create space for positivity relative to outcomes. In this, I always appreciate the opportunity to think from a very scientific and biochemical point of view, seeing where this emotional experience is mapping in the brain, you know, what the chemical reactions are and what opportunity we have to lead them in a direction and hopefully for the positive. Think about that idea of repeating the new behavior for 45 days. And this comes right around day 48 for me of having been in the meditation practice and probably right around 45 days of the twice daily meditation and thinking about how that's evolved in my life and you know I've definitely created a habit in that way and as far as the expectation you know looking at what I expect from my day you know that there will be the opportunity for these twice daily and making the commitment to it but not necessarily having a clear expectation for the direct outcome of that meditation experience. By that, I mean it's not necessarily an immediate direct return. The pause is helpful. You know, the getting ready in the morning. The first one happens very early before I do anything else in the day. And the second usually comes around lunchtime. As in my clinical days, I have a bit of a pause there to engage. And so there's immediate... A response and a met expectation of having time to make that pause and have a reset, but the longer gains from the meditation experience are yet to be seen. You know, it's meant to be a de stressing process that allows the overall experience of life to be improved upon. And so I'm waiting for that. Thinking about athletes in the gym and where we see the greatest challenge with them. Um, making a consistent commitment to the space and the workouts and the routine. And generally, I will say, if we can't capture them, you know, to commit to two months, it becomes much more challenging to get them to stay longer. We generally have a 30-day new member on-ramping experience. And some folks turn over, but sometimes if they haven't gone beyond that 30 days, you know, they haven't developed enough, of the tracking and I'm seeing here now not only it just in their patterns and in their habits in the day but perhaps in the mapping in their brain of what the experience of being in the gym can be and how to make that more positive and to create a better expectation outcome relationship so I'll put those two resources in there for you to review and see what you think and also to the books If anyone wants to join me on the 750-page read, we can have a really extended book club. Next, I considered the element of control and expectations. And we've talked about taking our power back, but releasing that which should not be considered to be within our control. And that's an element of expectation adjustment. In looking for those opportunities... When we have an expectation, when we're setting one, when we're feeling disappointed in an outcome, taking a pause and deciding if the expectation we set was around something that we can control and if by setting it we've created a huge opportunity for failure where there could be opportunity for appreciation or enjoyment or success if we had just a slight shift in that expectation. I think of that with my patients in clinic, and some starts from the very beginning. I'll often have patients come to me who had the expectation that I'm going to become their primary care physician, and when I cannot do that, it's a failure from the outset. So I'm a specialist, in neuromusculoskeletal medicine and osteopathic manipulative medicine. And I talk to patients about many primary things to do with their health, emotions, mental health management, food, movement, sleep, relationships. We can talk about medications. I don't manage chronic medications. I actually prescribe very few, generally speaking. I can order labs and imaging studies and make referrals. So I can do many things that a primary care physician might do, but I don't fill that role of primary care physician and I'm not trained. That's not my area of expertise. So performing wellness exams, being available for sick visits, following up on things like vaccines and routine screening exams are not what I do. It's not all my office is set up to do. And in that way, there can be a mismatch. And so coming into that first visit can feel very disappointing if someone's coming, believing they're being Set up with the new primary care physician, finding out that I don't fulfill those certain roles that they're seeking. But generally, with a conversation, and as I just shared with you, the things that I am able to do and to work in conjunction with the primary care physician as they're currently have or as I help them to find, the experience can be turned back to positive, and there can be a match in understanding that I can meet many of their needs and recognize that those other pieces are important and be supportive of them and either finding the person who can provide them or cooperating with the person who already does provide those things for them and complementing their full experience of healthcare. Similarly with patients either new or with returning patients who have an expectation of what the results of that single visit will be or what the results of a number of treatments might be And one of the most dangerous phrases I'll often hear is, I want you to fix me or I want you to make my pain go away. And there can be a moment when certainly I want that too. We want our patients to feel better and to not have pain. But I also recognize that I didn't create the pain. Oftentimes the pain has been there for many months or years or decades in some cases, that there are A cohort of underlying contributors, be them physical or mental or emotional or circumstantial or structural. And well, it'd be fantastic if a single treatment could undo all of those. And in some cases, there is significant improvement, you know, after a single encounter of evaluation and treatment and management plan. But many times, there's not going to be you know, 100% resolution of symptoms. And if that's the bar, if that's where the expectation is, it's not going to be a positive experience because we're not going to get there. If we can have a conversation and review all those pieces, honor that the experience is multifactorial and there's certainly room for improvement and perhaps ultimately total resolution, but not just from the experience in the office but through a whole combination of behavior change and you know support that they need and perhaps medication management or therapy, many different things that can contribute. But knowing that in the moment we are honoring the health, we are recognizing the contributing factors. We are removing the obstructions that we can. We are acknowledging and recognizing those that exist and maybe aren't Yet ready or able to be moved, and create an appropriate expectation that allows for success in the way of steps along the way. You know, putting rocks, allowing us to make stepping stones across the river. You might have to wait on one until someone else can hand us a rock that we can put in front of us and take that next step. And maybe it's another person extending a hand from the other side of the river to help us make that final step across. But building appropriate expectations through a meaningful and honest conversation allows the opportunity for there to be success in the moment rather than disappointment and failed or unmet expectations. Thinking about what our response is to an outcome and certainly how that's impacted by the expectation that we set in advance and what opportunity there might be to make a shift, you know, we had an expectation, the event or experience happened, the outcome did not match, what do we do now? So we can certainly feel the disappointment and not necessarily ignore it, acknowledge it, but then take the moment to look at what led us to set the expectation. And most of the time it's probably a previous experience, whether it's our own or the telling of someone else who Shared that this could be the possible outcome and aiming for that. And they're perhaps taking that pause to say, well, was my aim for improvement? Was my aim for contentment? Was the expectation appropriate for one of those, the one that we're choosing? And if not, perhaps we need to adjust it and acknowledge that with greater understanding of the whole, perhaps there was success in that moment, but at a lower level on the scale than what we originally organized. I think about relationships. You know, we talk about expectations. Relationships come up and we can, you know, make ourselves miserable or make ourselves happier with a situation based on our expectation and our response to the outcome, and I talk to my children about this quite often. And I believe very specifically in a previous ep- episode I shared that you know, there are times when I feel like I'm offering everything. And I'm saying, have whatever flavor ice cream you want. But that day they didn't want ice cream, they wanted cake. But we're in an ice cream shop and not a bakery. And so they're exceedingly disappointed. And to me it seems totally unreasonable where I'm saying, we're here and I'm offering you this treat. And yet you're choosing to be upset but perhaps I didn't know that they had this preset notion that they were going to receive cake. And so even though it was the most delightful ice cream and all the variety of flavors they could choose from, it wasn't what they were planning on. And so they didn't have a path forward for enjoying what to me seemed like an obviously enjoyable experience. I wonder if in those moments, just acknowledging with them oh, like you wanted cake, there's no cake here. Even though ice cream's delicious, it's not what you wanted today, so it's not great. And I know there's some thought processes where you're thinking, oh my gosh, just be grateful, have ice cream, knock it off. But it's a small example, and especially in the lives of children where many things seem beyond their control. You know, they don't always feel empowered to make the decisions in their life of what they're eating, where they're going, who they're with. And so in those small moments, those are their opportunities to be able to have control over their lives and to have that unmet expectation can be upsetting. So looking on both ends, perhaps verbalizing a very clear expectation ahead of time, saying it out that there's no opportunity for a bakery. And so while cake might be delicious, the opportunity today is only for ice cream. And either preparing for that and recognizing that wouldn't be my first choice. It's a cold day. Ice cream is not like the best treat, but I enjoy it. And so I'm going to adjust my expectation that I'm getting any treat today and appreciate the one that I get. Or that, you know, I only want cake. I recognize that's not available. And so I can be disappointed and perhaps just move on with that and not even enter into the ice cream shop and say you know what I have no interest in ice cream it's not going to be the cake that I want and so I'm just not going to have any at all and maybe be disappointed but not be disappointed throwing a fit in the ice cream shop that then causes me the parent to struggle with an unmet expectation of joy from my children for offering them this treat so a lot of open communication and perhaps a willingness to be flexible can be useful here and what about for ourselves? You know, we have expectations for external things, certainly, you know, for people, for circumstances, for work. Like I said, I can see the gaps in my schedule as hazards, you know, loss of revenue or loss of opportunity for patients to be seen when we have you know relatively high waiting lists for folks. And short-term cancellations, we don't have the opportunity to fill in those gaps. Or I can see it as there are many things I could be doing, and this is a gap in time that I didn't think I had, and so I can fill it and achieve something that might have otherwise gone undone or felt cramped into another part of the day. But for self, in the idea of expectations on our own performance, you know, where Can we shift that to allow ourselves to have greater ease, greater control over the moment? And looking at outcomes. So just like the patient comes in with a certain set of outcomes, I can take those in with me as well to the interview and the exam and the encounter and the treatment and the plan. And it can be a tough place and where to set your needle. You know, certainly all better, 100% improved would be the ultimate goal, but carrying a sense of reality around, you know, those components of what the patient is experiencing. And sometimes it means trusting that I'm going to do a good job of listening and that I have a solid background and I'm keeping up to date on knowledge in the medical world where I can make a decent assessment for the patient that if I don't know the answer, I am willing and able, able to find that, to seek external resources to myself and do some investigation, whether that be through different studies for the patient, and offer treatment when it's appropriate, knowing that I'm utilizing my understanding of anatomy and physiology and years of experience in palpatory skill and application of treatment and listening for the response from the patient verbally from a tactile perspective and trusting in the inherent capacity for healing in their system and honoring what it can do, being willing to wait for the feedback on their return and listening for improvement. What went well? What is still outstanding? What do we need to do otherwise? And if they're not making adequate improvement, being willing and able to connect them to other resources that might serve them in a greater capacity. So oftentimes there's a moment where we have to take a step back and remind ourselves as physicians that we are doing the best we can, offering our attention and our education and our experience to the patient, offering the treatment modalities that have been proven through evidence-based studies through past experience listening for the results making adjustments as necessary and connecting our patients to resources beyond us when that's needed and that there can be success and there can be met expectations through that experience if those are our measures if that attention and attentiveness and presence and persistence exists regardless of the outcome of their illness. And again I'm not saying that we don't want to improve, you know, chronic disease measures and get folks off of medications or keep them on the appropriate regimen for something that can't be otherwise treated, or that from a surgical intervention, you know, we don't want there to be full healing and return to full range of motion and all of those things. Certainly yes. But we can't control those pieces I can't guarantee that the pain will get better I can surmise that removing certain restrictions in the body and optimizing function and mobility should lend itself to improvements in pain but it's really beyond my control so by controlling the pieces that I can and continuing to learn and listen and explore with and for patients you know If that's my expectation is of giving the full attention in that experience and treatment to the best of my knowledge and ability and being willing to listen to the result and make adjustments accordingly, I can have success in that every time. And I think we can be very hard on ourselves as physicians of expectations of the cure and 100% improvements and resolution and having the right answer in that moment and that can be really challenging. And I suspect a component of what leads to you know, physician burnout, although some say we're not supposed to use that phrase and said think about moral injury, but it's all incongruence. And when we can create the opportunity for there to be a match between the expectation and the experience and the outcomes by harnessing that which we can control, honoring that which we do well and optimizing that for the patient and for ourselves and beyond the doctor-patient relationship in other relationships or of our own expectation experience, thinking about that which we can control, that which we can do well, and setting an expectation to match that to allow us to move forward in a successful way. Last, I was considering as a competitive person, which I admit, you know, the idea of the goal of playing or how we approach the playing field. And are we playing to win? Are we playing not to lose? Are we playing to play? And all of those are options. I'd say the middle one is not ideal, but again, thinking about how we're setting the bar as we move forward into an experience, thinking where we are, and that might change moment to moment, or a certain sector of our lives might have a different opportunity. So, I encourage you to check out the articles, check out some historical Mama Tri Doc posts there, and think about how you're setting expectations, what you're trying to achieve by doing so, what you experience when they're met what you experience when they're unmet, when they're exceeded, and how that might feel, and what you can do to optimize the health of your experience by adjusting expectations, examining your response to them, and making changes appropriately for the best health of all things. This is Dr. Amelia Beeky with This Osteopathic Life. Thank you for listening.